Welcome to Sacrifice to Success Podcast. My name is David Weaver, and I am the owner of The Forgotten Heart Project. My mission is to help others create freedom in every aspect of their life. In this season of the podcast, we are talking life, business, and what makes you feel alive. We are speaking with business owners and entrepreneurs from all over, hearing about the sacrifices, the learnings, the twists, the turns, the ups and downs, and the successes that they have had in life and business. These are their stories. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. I am excited for yet another guest, and this guest has an awesome name. Uh, Welcome, David Strausser. Hey, thank you so much, David. I also think you have an awesome name. Thank you, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's it's quite the honor, and I'm looking forward to have a fun, you know, vigorous conversation. So, ooh, excellent, yeah, great. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, what your business is. Okay, yeah, so. That is a one of those, I'm sure you hear this all the time because I start my podcast out the same way. And for a lot of people, it's a can of worms because they've done so many different things and they've had so many career transitions. I mean, for me, started off coal country, Pennsylvania, moved down to Tijuana, Mexico when I was 18 and lived down there in Mexico for about 15 years, lived in Peru for a year where I met my wife then back to Mexico. Then I lived in San Diego, but I was still working in Mexico. So it, it, it's been been crazy. Mexico has been such a huge influence in my life. I actually worked for the Mexican government for two years, which is crazy because I'm you know, a regular white guy from coal country, Pennsylvania, <laughs> working yeah. for the Mexican government. But that aside, uh, you know what we do right now, it's like my whole path, my whole journey has kind of led me to the crossroads of where I'm at. All these, you know, it's like I had all these pieces of working in tech or doing B2B sales or, you know, cold calling. And finally, I'm at a point in my life where all those different pieces came together. And what I do for my main job, I have a couple of different jobs. My main job is a general manager for Vision 33 which is kind of think of it, you know, I run the whole Northeast from DC to Maine for SAP Business One, SAP by design, and then the East Coast for our Sage Intact business line. Uh, So that's my main uh, gig there. And then I also have Dead Brands LLC, which is my own company where I am the CEO. I uh, nominated myself for that position. And that's actually where... (laughs) I host my podcast, which you can find on YouTube, everywhere else. It's called Shark Bite Biz. We also have a coffee brand, deadhousecoffee.com, because, you know, you don't want to be a zombie when you wake up, you know, uh, you know, get yeah. back to life, really. So, uh, you know, we have the the coffee brand there. And, you know, besides that, it's just trying to network and make partnerships and, you know, build bridges and roads to new relationships. I'll tell you what, doing a podcast just like you're doing was the best way for me to expand my network, especially during COVID. Mm. Yeah, I've, I definitely agree. I found it to be like one of the most, like we, we haven't met before. 
we just no. literally literally met nine minutes ago and yeah. <laughs> like by the time we're done chatting we'll i'll know way more about you than i ever would in any other sort of like networking get together or anything which it's i love it's so cool Oh yeah, no, it's totally, totally awesome. I mean, I mean, the people that I've had on my my show, I've had from Soli that O'Brien to uh, you know the band Gore, uh, G W A R. You know, I have had them on live backstage before a show. He we recorded the interview. Uh, that was pretty pretty awesome. I've had Brian Vanderark, who is the lead singer of the Verb Pipe, as the freshman. Uh, even William Hung. I, I'm actually good personal friends with William Hung. You know, she bangs with yeah. American Idol. Yeah. He's been on the show. So I've, I get a lot of celebrities. And that's one thing that I love doing is getting a celebrity on the show, especially from the music industry, because I'm very, very passionate about music. I mean, if I wasn't blurred out in the background, uh, you could probably see it a, a little bit. But I got a full Marshall uh, sack of amps behind me and a Gibson poster. And I got my little Fender guitar right there, too. But, nice. um, you know, I love music because most people think of music just as a consumable good. And they oftentimes forget about the industry as a whole. And mm -hmm. you hear a lot of amazing stories that come out of there, like with Brian Vanderart. He had that number one hit globally of the freshman. And who would have predicted six years later? He'd be bankrupt, living in a van and, you know, no money coming in at all. And he was able to bounce back from that. And it, it's an awesome story about being an entrepreneur, a creative artist in in business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh, man. we There's so many rabbit holes we can go down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> OK, so. I'm curious, what made you decide to go to Mexico? Let's go back to that for a second. Okay. So I was 18 and I got, I actually got accepted to Penn State. And it was like college or Mexico. And it ended up being Mexico. It originally, okay. So originally it wasn't going to be Mexico. It was going to be London. That's where we were shooting. To, that's where we were planning on going. But then my buddy was like, um, why don't we go down to Tijuana? Like, I'm looking at this map here of the United States. You got to remember, this is 2001. It's not like you just pull up Google Maps as easy as you can today. So yeah. he had an actual map of North America. And he's like, Tijuana's right there. San Diego's right there. They look right next to each other. Like we can probably live in Tijuana and work in San Diego. Uh, or if we live in Mexico, and things go bad. We can run right to the American border. So we, we were thinking of it as kind of a safe haven. And what even got Tijuana into our minds is crazy because it all started because you watched a movie. Uh, you watched Cheech Marin's uh, movie Born in East L.A. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it yeah. is funny. He's American, but he went to pick up his cousin, forgot his ID. He ends up getting deported because there's an immigration raid and he has to live down in Tijuana uh, working at the bars and stuff like that. And it, it's a very, very funny, you know, traditional Cheech, uh, Cheech Marin type movie. But he was so motivated with that, like, wow, this looks awesome, you know, from the movie because, again, you got to remember, we were a bunch of 18 year olds 
it's 18 to drink in Mexico. It's 21 in the States. So there's a lot of different things at play. You know, we just wanted to escape where we are at that time. It wasn't the greatest area. We, we, we wanted to start our own lives and start it on our own. And that's eventually what we ended up doing, you know, and it was it was grueling. I tell you what, if you can make money in San Diego, you can live like a king down in Mexico. Plenty of Americans do it. Mexican Americans do it. Um, but also, you know, just regular Americans, whether it's like Asian American, Black American, White American, doesn't matter. They'll live down there in Rosarito and Tijuana, and they will commute every single day to work in San Diego and then live like kings or queens down there in, in Mexico. And we found that lifestyle very, I guess you could say lucrative for a while, but it, it's challenging, especially because when you move down there two months after September 11th, and mm. you know, we're talking November 2001, border yeah. security totally, totally changed. If you went down there before September 11th, night and day difference. After yeah. that, it, it was taking sometimes six, seven hours to cross a border. Oh. So think, you don't have the car, you're standing in line for six or seven hours to cross the border, okay? And then you still have to commute through the San Diego trolley, probably catch a bus, probably walk another three blocks just to go work an eight-hour shift and then do the same dang thing to come back home to Mexico. I mean, the good thing in Mexico, everybody, you just walk through. You know, yeah. there wasn't too much border security back then like there is now in Mexico. So it was just walk on through. So you didn't have the borderline, but you still have the commute. It mm -hmm. was not easy. It was really, really grueling. It was some of the hardest times of my life. I, I will tell you, it, it, it was very rough, but I'm glad I did it because, you know, I, I lived, um, I did not live like a king. Many people do, but you have to remember, I was only 18 at the time, you know, so mm -hmm. uh, even a decent job, it, it was still hard to, not extremely hard, but it was, you know, rougher than what most people that had a solid job. You know, I'm doing entry level positions at that time, basic mm -hmm. sales, stuff like that. And it, it was just hard. I mean, I was living in a literal Tijuana ghetto for probably about eight, nine years. And that, I mean, dirt roads, outhouse, um, no shower. Uh, I mean, you literally had to uh, either start a fire or heat water up on a stove and then mix it with cold water and, you know, take a bath standing up, um, you know, inside of a little shed. I have no idea why I did it so long. I was just going to say, at what point were you like, uh, maybe we should like pull the plug on this and head yeah. back up? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it was after I went to Peru. Um, you know, that's when I met my wife and well, my now wife. She wasn't then. I met her at an Aerosmith concert in oh, nice. Peru. Um, at Liam. I'm a diehard Aerosmith fan. So I've seen him like 26 times. Wow. Met her down there, which was their first ever show down in Lima. So it was special. Met her. And then, you know, I lived down in Peru for about a year. Uh, money was starting to get low. Uh, remote work really did not exist that much, you know, yeah. that time because you're talking about 2010 so we ended up moving back to uh, tijuana but at that point it was like okay 
we're going to move to the uh, Playas de Tijuana, which is the Tijuana Beach. So that's where we ended up moving. And, you know, in that neighborhood, it was a lot, lot better, a lot better quality of life than what I had previously. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was fun. You know, it, it was uh, it was different. It was challenging, but it really gave me a lot of different perspectives on different things, especially, you know, a lot of people, how they talk about, you know, Mexico or what NAFTA. Now it's the USMCA with those trade agreements. A lot of people live in a bubble. I lived down there firsthand experience. I know both sides of the argument, the pros and cons of each thing. And, you know, it's just weird because without that experience, I would probably just be saying whatever the talking heads are saying in my bubble. Mm-hmm. Whereas, no, it's, it's like, you're wrong on this. I've lived it. This is how it actually is. So it's kind of cool. And I hear that story, the same story I told you, I hear again and again and again from people on my show. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Man, <laughs> what a wild, like, adventure (laughs) (laughs) it it was i mean uh like we were talking before the show and you were saying about how you're doing the the camping for a couple weeks stuff like that and for me it was like eight or ten years camping in mexico basically uh it was it was rough but i've met some of the best most humblest people on earth i've met um you know i met bad people too every place has good and bad people i think people forget that you know you always see the bad things in the news and place about places like Mexico, but you don't ever see all the good things, all the positive things. And I will say overall, I experienced like nine to one more positive things than negative things down there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just generally true, Uh, like maybe across the board. I mean, obviously there's pockets and places where there's more bad going on, but it's just over sensationalized all the bad. And so like, that's just what we see. But if you unplug from media for like a week, (laughs) Mm -hmm. then you start to see like all the good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one time, and I don't tell this story very often just because I don't like scaring people, but uh, I'll give you a freebie. Um, One time I ended up, I was held at gunpoint, uh, which was the only time I've ever had, uh, you know, a live automatic weapon, pointed at my face and it was by masked men uh, wearing plaid shirts, you know, kind of looking cowboyish. I guess you could say like a Mexican cowboyish, but with black hoodies on. And I was I've never been more scared. I'm just like telling them because I'm fluent in Spanish. I'm like, hey, I'm a, a, you know, tourist down here. I'm I'm American. I uh, uh, live right over here and I'm there like here's my water bill you because I had that in the car <laughs> like water bill electric bill are so important down in Mexico because it proves your residency as far as where you live mm-hmm. uh, so that plus my actual Mexican visa and stuff like that and they ended up being like a secret police force task but mm. I didn't know that. I didn't know if it was the, the you know cartel members. I didn't know if it was just a gang. I didn't know if it was the police. I had no idea. And that was the scariest moment of my life. Like, am I going to die? And, you know, then they took out their badge and they're like, please, 
And I'm like, oh, thank God. Um, and it yeah. was uh, it was probably the only time that I was happy to see an actual police badge. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, man. OK, so let's fast forward to entrepreneur life. Like what yeah, what made you decide to, to start your business and like what was the spark and inspiration for that? Okay, so the spark and inspiration is I, you know, Dead Brand started because I love doing podcasting. I wanted to be like, hey, I'm going to commit to this. It was kind of a way of me committing to the show and making sure that I'm accountable for it to, you know, produce some revenue, do things like that. So that's where I, I made it the LLC. But I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, going back to when I was a teenager, you know, how can I open up a store? How can I do this? How can I do that? How can I make more money? How can I make more of this or more of that? I've always had that spirit built into me. And maybe it's because my father owned the construction business for most of my life when I was younger. So I, I think that's kind of where the entrepreneurship uh, comes on. And that's actually a pretty common trend. A lot of people I interview on the show as well, too, you know, they say that their dad or their mom owned the business and that's what motivated them to own a business. And I, I definitely uh, relate to that because that's how it was with me. But I think there's one thing that people misunderstand because, yeah, my main paycheck, my main gig is with Vision 33 where I'm fully dedicated, you can still be an entrepreneur and still work for a business. Because, I mean, in my eyes, I essentially own this region. Everything from the sales reps to the clients to the employees, they all fall under me, my leadership. And, you know, it, it's really, you know, I built this region for them out of scratch, okay? Mm -hmm. I got it with you know, a handful of customers, and now we're in the 40s, which is incredible growth over three and a half years for ERP solutions. You know, if you're doing double digit growth in your client base with no acquisitions like of another company. So, uh, being able to do that, that you really have to have that entrepreneur spirit like, hey, I'm building something up for my future, I'm building something that's going to last. And, you know, it's just that drive to sell, 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 sell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a, a good point. And maybe like, you know, people might downplay having something on the side. It's like, oh, I'm not really an entrepreneurial or, you know, I'm mm -hmm. not into that. But, you know, the reality is I think that's how things start a lot of the time. It's not jump in necessarily with both the have to go get funding do all that mm -hmm. you know like super high stress startup sort of mentality there's also just other ways about doing it and oh yeah neither one Definitely. of them is wrong yeah no i i totally agree with you i don't think either way is wrong and i think the big misconception is while it's probably the greatest freedom that you can ask for of being able to work for yourself but you know working for another and doing like what I'm doing as far as building something that to me is still being entrepreneurial because if not, we would not be where we're at today. We would not have had 
the year over year over year growth. For example, uh, first, second week of July, we already beat our top line revenue number for 2021. So I'm already at year over year growth. We in, by the end of the July, we beat it by about two hundred thousand dollars. And you know, it, it's that entrepreneurial spirit, that entrepreneurial drive, that motivates me to be able to do that. And that's also what pushes me with the podcast. I mean, yeah, there's some days where it's like, oh, I don't want to do another interview, you know, <laughs> or yeah. You know, do people really get a lot out of this show or, you know, we're not selling as much coffee as I'd like to be selling with Deadhouse Coffee. You know, maybe I should just kind of give up. But at the end of the day, I, I think all entrepreneurs kind of go a little bit through that phase. You have that negativity that creeps in and you really just got to grab a baseball bat and beat it back as hard as you can, because if you let that negativity creep in, it's going to set you down the wrong path. You have to fight it off and you just got to keep chugging along. Most people that fail, it's because they gave up too soon. Not because, you know, not because they gave it their all. If they just could have figured out a way to keep going a little bit more, chances are, I, I truly believe that if they really want it and they're giving it everything they got, they will eventually achieve that success. Yeah, I, I think there's there's some other pieces there, like, you know, being really aligned, especially if you feel like it's aligned with your mission and your purpose here in the world, mm -hmm. then I think that's 100% true. It's just a matter of time and consistency. Sometimes right. I think, you know, if there's misalignment there and you're trying to do something that doesn't really fit for you and doesn't, you know, have that right <clears throat> connection and, and purpose mm -hmm. there, then, then maybe it does make sense to let things go sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But Absolutely, absolutely agree. I mean, sometimes you discover that, yeah, my hobby, it really was just a hobby. It's not something I want to be my job. And yeah. that's okay. You know, a lot of people, like, for example, one of my sales reps who uh, is amazing, he went to be an accountant. And then he was like, you know what? Uh, I don't really want to be an accountant. I'd rather be in sales. <laughs> now he sells Sage Intact for me and he sells accounting software. And it's amazing because he understands accounting so he can talk all the lingo and it right. worked his favor. I mean, he's still using his accounting degree. So it's not like it went to waste at all, but he's using it in a different manner than what he originally uh, intended it to be for. Yeah, that's super cool. That's awesome. It's like, what are what are the things that you pick up along the way and not just like mm. throwing anything out as a waste of time, but like that they're all helping move you to wherever you're going next. To, to, they move you to your end goal. And that's kind of where I was saying in my beginning with my little origin story, as far as throughout my life, I got little pieces here, there, you know, all over the place. Vision 33 is really the first place that I felt that all those things mm -hmm. came together. Started cool. out as a sales rep with them. I was putting up amazing astronomical numbers. I mean, I was doing so good, but one of the best of the best every single year selling and closing deals. And I sold deals fast, which was not typical for ERP sales. I mean, I'd be getting deals closed within three to uh, three to six weeks on average. Uh, usually mm -hmm. it's four to six months. And I was moving these deals along so quick. 
closed. They were selling. They were good deals. They weren't bad deals. That like they weren't uh, an escalation because I undersold uh, the project or anything like that. Everything was always done on the up and up. But I didn't. I didn't feel fulfilled. Like yeah, I, I'm selling. I'm making really good money. But you're really not using all of my talents. You know, mm. I have the operation assets. I have the uh, the management skill sets, you know, I have all these other things. And that's what I was looking for. Like, hey, if you guys want to retain me, like I need that career growth. I need the fuel fulfilled. Selling, I can do that all day long. I'm bored with sales, you know, because uh, it was crazy. I never had a pipeline. And the reason why I never had a pipeline is because I was selling everything I got as soon as I got it. So I never had a chance of having a full-blown, um, fully built-out pipeline. And that was um, that, that was kind of an odd experience for me because, I don't know, it, it was just weird. So that's how they ended up promoting me to run their Northeast region. And it allowed me to feel fulfilled as far as fulfilling that entrepreneurial spirit because I was able to build something from scratch which was pretty much the first region that Vision 33 has done outside of when they first launched 20 plus years ago. It was the first region that we built up from scratch. All the other ones have been done by acquisitions and mergers and stuff like that. So for me, that was, you know, it's pretty cool. It's been pretty fun. And, uh, you know, the drive of just wanting bigger and better and like seeing how big can we make this baby is really what keeps me going. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's a really cool, <clears throat> just something maybe, and maybe it's just me that you just don't think about as often, but like if you do have that sort of entrepreneurial autonomous like drive, mm -hmm. maybe there is a place in a company like you have where you can right. fully like express that and be rewarded for it and <clears throat> not have to like start something, you know, brand new, some brand new idea on your own. Yeah. yeah and cool. that's, that's where I was saying that you can still be an entrepreneur and work with somebody. It really comes down to compensation. If you think about it, are you being comped as if you owned your area or not like is that in line with what a business owner should earn if you're building and owning this certain territory or this business line or whatever it may be and if mm -hmm. the answer is yes then it's like yeah you're pretty much an entrepreneur in those aspects yeah that's cool okay so so what would you say was one of the things that you learned for example like you were a salesperson and now you're managing a team, right? Right. Mm -hmm. What are some of the lessons that you've learned in like moving from that to, to where you are now? Yeah. So I've managed sales teams many times in my past. Uh, I'm actually much older than I look. Um, <laughs> <laughs> though I'm 39. Uh, I feel like I'm dreading 40. But I've managed sales teams a couple times in my past. And uh, but never to this level where we're working with deals that can be 250,000, 500,000 million dollar deals. And I, I would say that was definitely one of the, the bigger struggles as far as remembering that the people that are working these deals, they're not me. Okay. So I can't force them to do 
what I would do. They're, they're professionals. You've got to give them the space. You've got to make them, you know, feel like you, you trust them and you'd be like, Hey, you know what? This is what I would do in this situation. This is how I'd manage it. And most times the sales rep then takes a step back. He thinks about it. And he basically, I'd say 90, 95% of the time, they do what I say, just that they do it in their style or their way that matches with their personality. So I think that was one of the, the, the harder things I had to learn in the beginning was that everybody has their own style and, you know, helping them, coaching them to get to the next level. Sometimes, you know, I just got to put my ego aside and boost theirs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Really connecting with them on an individual level instead of trying to do it the way you want would do it. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, even when I close deals and I do sales, I mean, like my team will call me into a deal like, hey, David, we need uh, you to come on as the manager. Just give them the warm and fuzzies so that they know everything's on the up and up, that it's your head on the chopping block in case the deal goes sideways, those types of things. And I come on and I, I play my role. I play my piece. And, you know, I might be the person that ends up actually closing the deal. But even if I do close the deals for the sales reps, even if I got to carry the deal, there's been plenty of deals that I've had to carry along most of the sales cycle myself. And the sales rep is more of doing just the grunt work of setting up appointments and filling out paperwork. Even with that, I mean, one of the biggest things that I've done is just put my own ego aside. And when I write out that email, hey, new client alert, you know, I'm giving them all the prop, all the praise, boosting their ego, their confidence in themselves. But I'm also hoping that they're learning off of the strategies and techniques that I use during that that sales cycle to be able to apply that in the future as well, too. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned your, I think you have three kids, right? When we were talking before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three kids. Uh, cool. 19, 9, and 5. Okay, big spread. Sweet. I, I uh, don't know. I keep resetting. I mean, it's like I'm due <laughs> for another one, I feel. So it's been five years. I mean, I don't know why, but yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> cool. My girls are nine and six. So very close to your young, okay. younger ones. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, but you so you have the podcast, you have the coffee company, you have your other business that you're running. Mm -hmm. How like what have you learned in managing all of that and like, you know, showing up as a good dad and husband mm -hmm. and good boss and all those pieces? Like what what are some things that you've learned in that whole process? Uh it's it's been tough. I would say, you know, cuz you got to remember, one thing is I've always worked remote my, most of my adult life. Um, you know, so that's, yeah, I travel. Yeah. I go visit clients, stuff like that. But when I'm not, I'm usually at home. So that's also, that's been a benefit. And I, I would say for me, the main benefit is work-life balance. And some people be like, uh, we're, you know, work-life balance. That's, you know, for losers or lazy people, but no, what I'm talking about is I usually work way more than eight hours a day in everything that I do. But let's say two hours during a day, you know, the, hey, kids want to go to the park or whatever. 
I don't have any meetings scheduled. You know, there's nothing urgent in my email. Okay, I'll take them to the park. You know, Mm -hmm. if a phone call comes in, I got a cell phone. If, uh, you know, an email comes in, I can respond on the cell phone. And if I need to jump in a meeting, I can handle it. I think I've learned that there are certain activities that have to be done pretty much between nine and five. Nowadays, especially, a lot of things can be done between, you know, five and 10 or even between, you know, 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. So you're kind of able to space things out. So that way you can go here for your daughter's recital or go to, you know, your your son's uh, holiday play or whatever it may be. You know, that's midday and trying to find that balance is is really important. And it, it's kind of funny because I had this same conversation with Soledad O'Brien. And she said that, yes, for people that are working professionals, okay, the direction that things are going, and you got to remember, this was in the middle of COVID too, when things were still, uh, you know, pretty, pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was over like maybe a year, year and a half ago. Uh, probably closer to a year and a half ago. But anyway, she was basically like, it's going to become more results orientated. It's not going to be check in at nine, check in at five. It's more, what are your numbers? You know, what are your targets? You know, how many meetings did you connect with? Things like that, that it's going to be result orientated. And I think that that allows for efficiency so that you can spend time with your family and with your kids. There's some weeks, the end of the quarter, for example, we're a quarterly driven business. The end of the year, you know, that's a huge quarter end to where it's like, yeah, we celebrate Christmas. And then I don't, sometimes we don't get finished till eight o'clock or nine o'clock on New Year's Eve because that's when these deals are finally closing and money's being sent to our bank so that we can get those deals logged in this calendar year. And, you know, outside of those time periods, you have the flexibility to kind of, you know, do as you need. Yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I think I'm totally, I love that. And I'm excited that we're moving in that direction as a society where it's like, Mm -hmm. we're not just trading time for money anymore. We're trading, you know, like you said, results. Money per task. Oriented. Yeah. And like, if you can get, the same result in four hours that that you could get in eight well wouldn't you want that <laughs> right <laughs> like, right yeah right. for sure productivity so, is I, higher i mean you don't have people that have the commutes i mean it, it it depends though too you you have to remember there are a lot of people out there i don't know what the exact percentage is but there are a lot of people out there that are abusing the work from home the the remote work, you know, things like that. And my fear is that those bad apples end up spoiling it for the rest of us. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not afraid of that. I'm not worried about that because you know what that comes down to the, the people that are managing those people Mm -hmm. aren't like holding them to what they say. And like, you know, but they're not like seeing the results. Right. But I mean, in like the world that you're in and I'm in, it's like right. not even a, not even a thing. I think where there is a, an interesting, like more nuanced conversation, I guess would be like mm-hmm. there, there is a lot of benefit to being 
in a room with a group of people and like that oh, <laughs> the yeah. energy and yeah, you can do the same thing on Zoom, but it's not quite the same. And so, yeah. I mean, my but, whole region has been remote since day one. And I started as the general manager for the Northeast Vision 33, probably about uh, like February-ish, March-ish of uh, 2019. So about a year before the pandemic even started. Since mm -hmm. day one, everybody was remote. I mean, I've had people from uh, the southern tip of Maryland, Delaware, all the way up through Boston, New Hampshire, Vermont, working for us. They're all spread out. And it's never been an issue. Now, what has stunk is it's been a few years since we've all been together. Mm -hmm. But, you know, hopefully if things keep going positive. We'll be able to have our holiday party for the first time in like three or four years now. Yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah. great. <clears throat> yeah, the the other little thing that I've noticed too is uh, I have talked to some people who who were moved to remote who had never been remote. Mm -hmm. And um, for some of those people, like single people, like I, this older gal who, you know, worked for this company forever and she was working remotely from home. She's like really lonely. Like just yeah. to sit at home by yourself and not have that like, even just your your work community mm -hmm. of people you see every day like that's one of the yeah there there's some challenges negative yeah there's some negative effects and again i i think that's where you know something that a manager needs or a business owner needs is a little bit of emotional intelligence and you know you should be building relationships with your team, with your employees, with your colleagues, and, you know, just checking in like, Hey, you know, don't want to pry, you know, everything good, you know, no issues. How's it right. working from home? You missing anybody, you know, and just ask things that kind of get a feeling of where they're at, you know, and, or make sure that there's resources available and, you know, especially during the beginning of COVID when everybody, I mean, again, our team was always remote, but when they were pretty much everybody's on lockdowns, uh, that's where a lot of people felt isolated and trapped. Mm -hmm. So yeah. for me, I was trying to reach out to my family, uh, to my team, you know, on a regular basis, you know, like, Hey, let's have, you know, some group calls, Let's uh, chat here, you know, or reach out for one on ones, probably a little bit more frequent than what I would normally do. And I chalk that up again to the emotional intelligence of just being knowing exactly, you know, having my finger on the pulse of what my team feels, what my team needs. And if there is, you know, something amiss with somebody just by their actions, you know, their face, their their facial expressions, all those types of things. You can kind of take some cues from that, especially if you know someone for a while, if something's amiss. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, I mean, David, I feel like we could just talk forever, especially you being a podcast host, but I'm just going to yeah, ask yeah, you a yeah. couple more questions <laughs> yeah, no here problem. to kind of wrap us up. Um, yep. So uh, the first question is, what makes you feel fully alive? Fully Alive. First off, the song Fully Alive is pretty gnarly. That's one of my favorite songs. Uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's um, a great song. Fully Alive, I would say there is no better feeling than closing a deal. It doesn't matter if it's a 
$12 bag of coffee on Dead House Coffee or if it's a small sponsorship for Shark Pipe Biz or if we're closing a million dollar deal for Vision 33. If I do any of those, I get goosebumps. And especially remember with Vision 33, I'm usually not the person selling directly. It's indirectly through my team, but I am playing quarterback and coaching them through that whole process to make sure that things are moving the right way, that they're checkmarking the boxes along the way. So whenever those deals come in, you know, I, I get goosebumps with every single deal. The arms, on, you know, the hairs on my arm stand up. There's no greater feeling for me than that. And that's why I love business development and sales so much. And it's been a foundation of my life. It's my cornerstone. Yeah. Talk about being in the right lane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. Okay, cool. So then uh, what would you say to an entrepreneur as just like one piece of wisdom that you would leave with somebody who is working on starting a business or they're in the thick of it? I mean, there's so many different things you could say, but uh, the two would be definitely make sure you have your plan, uh, you know, written business plan. Uh, it still sticks as far as how you plan to operate. Um, but I also think the negativity, you know, keeping the negativity out, keeping the positivity around, even if you have a little bit of a you know, a little bit of a hurdle to jump over, you know, it might just be a little hurdle that you got to jump over and then bam, money's falling from the sky for you. Things don't take off overnight. When we launched our Sage practice, you know, it, it took my region almost a year to get our first deal in. Okay. Now our sales rep for Sage is the number one for Vision uh, selling Sage Intact globally. And it, it's because we didn't give, give up. We took the ne negativity out. We stayed positive and we found a way to fight through the negativity and stay positive. And now it's a total turnaround. Whereas it could have been so easy, just, you know, well, we didn't sell any deals last year. So as a one one, we're pulling the plug, no more Sage Intact. That would have lost me a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of revenue this year. Yeah, love it. Great advice. <clears throat> okay, cool. So uh, where can people find out more information about you? Well, if you want, you can, uh, davidstrasser.com is always a good place to go. If nice. you want to find out more about Vision 33, if you want business process automation, finances, those types of things, ERP type solution, counting software, uh, go to vision33.com or you can reach out to me, david.strauser at vision33.com. You can find the podcast Shark Bite Biz. Just search Shark Bite Biz on YouTube or go to sharkbitebiz.com. And you can also go to deadhousecoffee.com. If you want to support me by grabbing one bag of coffee, use the code SHARK. You'll get 20% off and I'll get all your money to keep doing this beautiful show. <laughs> okay awesome thank you so much david it was a lot of fun no problem thank you so much uh david i pleasure to speak with you pleasure to be on your show and uh keep doing what you're doing man this is pretty awesome thank you appreciate it cheers thank you for listening to sacrifice to success podcast 
If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, please check out the link in the show notes and you can find all of the details there. If you got something out of this interview, would you please take a moment to share on social media? You can just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to somebody or post it on the socials. Let's see if we can change the narrative of social media and post valuable, positive content. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content, so to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and they mean a lot to me. If you'd like to know more, go to my website, davidweavercoach.com, or you can follow me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Those links are also in the show notes. And I do also have a free training on my website as well. So thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you.